with regard to the discussions about uh, auto insurance rates, um, you know, we've identified a lot of the issues. And so now the question is, is there any way to quantify what the impact of any of these reforms would have on insurance rates? So we've been talking with uh, about different ideas on how to do that. And today we have with us, uh, Tony, is it Unwin or you win? Unwin? Got it right. Uh, CIO and co-founder of Premonition. Um, and uh, they specialize in big data, I guess. And uh, he's going to talk to us about what they, what their capabilities are and uh, related issues. Tony. Thank you very much for having me here. Premonition does something very interesting. We know which lawyers win before which judges, which we like to call a very, very unfair advantage in litigation. We have the world's largest litigation database. It is bigger than LexisNexis, Thomson Reuters, and Bloomberg combined. Please be louder. Is that better? Maybe put it on the opposite side, because when you turn that way. Actually, maybe we can hit the volume on there. You got it? Is that good? You see it on there? No. It might be on his thing. Change go again. Is there a volume on that? I don't think so. I think it's just on and off. Oh. Yeah, it's just on and off. Just okay. On and off. Well, we'll send for Shane again. <laughs> okay. Hi, hey. I'll do what I can. Sorry. Okay. All right. So legal data is a real mess in America. When most people look at court cases, they're looking at federal cases. And that's actually only 2% of cases in America. The overwhelming amount is down at a state and local level. So 97% of cases are down here. And the problem is that you have courts for each county. So you have 3,124 courts, and they are not connected. So if you do something naughty, they have no idea about it in Orlando. It is such a mess, you would think it was a government operation. So what we do is we visit each one of these courts' websites every hour, download all the new cases, normalize them, and put them in one place. And in the oh-so-sleepy world of legal technology, we have had a near Kardashian amount of hype. So why should we pick lawyers with data? The bottom line is that humans are not very good at it. This is the United Kingdom Court of Appeals. It is the battleground for the finest legal minds on the planet. Some of these lawyers make up to $8,000 an hour. You would think, given the amount of money that's spent on these trials, that the law firms that would have an idea of how good they are. But you would be wrong. Mr. Popular, he's been 41 times in the last three years, 60% win rate, not a bad barrister. But he's not the best. These guys are best. This one has seven straight wins. Crazy thing is, though, when Mr. Popular isn't available, the major law firms like to hire these three monkeys down here. And the second, third, and fifth most popular lawyers in the UK Court of Appeals have win rates in the 20s. You're actually better off representing yourself 
because pro se typically get 42% in this court. Because of this, UK law firm's choice of barristers is actually 37% worse than random. General's counsel's choice of law firms is 18% worse than random. And we can see how long cases go for. This is divorce lawyers in Orlando, Florida. And there are fast lawyers that take good care of their clients, and there are ones that do not, like this chap here who drags all his cases over a 1,000 days. And you can get away with things like that because no one knows about it until people with big data systems can come and crunch it all and pull it all apart. So are there lawyers that rarely lose before some judges? The answer is, of course, yes. We found this chap on our first trawl through court system, Alvin Benton, who had 32 straight wins before a particular judge. This is statistically improbable. But we all know the saying that a good lawyer knows the law, but a great one knows the judge. <laughs> so we built this system to find out who those people were. Because unfortunately, facts and law have lost too many times. This is Judge Eig down in Miami. And these are his auto negligence cases. Here's a very boring table of attorney performance. These are the charts of those lawyers and how often they win. So the guys at the top always win. The guys at the bottom always lose. These people are busiest. We nearly always find a dot in the bottom right corner. So this is someone who comes, appears before this judge all the time and usually loses. But statistically, he's the one you're most likely to hire. And if you ask around the courthouse, who should I hire? Oh, you should hire Bob, because he's in front of Ig all the time. In front of Ig all the time and usually loses is not something lawyers keep track of. They keep track of hours and billing, not outcome. So you want this guy here. His name is Anthony Tonelli. He has 18 straight wins. Again, statistically unlikely. These are his auto-negligence cases. Again, the most popular guy has 16 straight losses. You want this chap, Mario Alexander Gomez, who has nine straight wins. Here's where it gets interesting. Judge Eig is a conservative judge. Only 5% of his auto-negligence cases get judgments for the plaintiff. Unless... They hire this man here, Troy Latane. That's him. One quarter of all the auto negligence judgments for this judge have gone to just one man out of 17,000 in Miami. So if you find yourself up against Troy Latane, you need to know about it. You need to settle quickly because you're probably going to lose. Sure, you've all heard about the Johnson and Johnson Talc verdicts. This is the same facts, same law, same day. In one court, it goes one way; in another court, it goes the other. That shouldn't happen. What's different? It's the venue and it's the people involved. This is the second busiest lawyer in Miami. His name is Jonathan Mizels. He only does plaintiff foreclosure work for banks. He's had over 1,500 cases in three years. He's fast, 274 days. He gets a judgment 42% of the time. So if justice is really blind, is truly blind, it should be about 42% for every judge, right? Let's take a look and find out. Judge Traurig, 48%. Yeah, it's pretty close. But Judge Bloom loves him, 63%. And our friend Judge Ig, 23%. He has a very different opinion. You shouldn't see a 40% spread 
between judges on the same court hearing the same cases over and over and over again. 40% is massive. But you do because 30.7% of the average case is down to the relationship with the judge and the lawyer. It may not be fair, but it is fact. And here we can see who he usually represents, how many cases, how long they go for, what happens. We found this was actually predictive of future stock market performance, that if you buy a basket of companies that are winning most of the time, like Beneficial of Florida, who are winning 85% of their cases, and sold companies like One West that were winning only 16%, that they diverged and you got a perfect match trade. Is big law firm, is big law better than small law? If a big law firm lawyer goes up against a small one, who's likely to win? What do you think? In general. Bigger. Bigger. Okay. Mark, what do you think? Large one. <laughs> Sometimes. Do so you think small? Well, we always hired by the attorney, not the firm. So that's a smart thing to do. Yeah. In general, what do you think? I would say in a small town, you want the small town judge. Um, I guess in general, in the big city, you probably want the big law firm with the big with the big money and the the staff and the power behind it. But, you know, in auto cases in Louisiana with a $50,000 jury trial threshold, you want the lawyer who knows the judge, period. Absolutely. Doesn't matter what the facts are. Yes. That's what you want. Very true. Uh, so just quick show of hands. Who thinks big law? Uh, who thinks small? Okay, well, you guys are right. A big law firm will lawyer will typically beat a smaller firm lawyer by 6.98%. So there is an advantage. You're paying 50% more for that performance. Yeah. These are the major law firms in Florida, 20 largest law firms, and this is their performance in Miami. We've redacted a couple of their names because we didn't want to get sued. Uh, there's one I'll name here, it's Quinteros, 93.51% win rate, rock stars. These are very big, major firms, 33% win rate. These firms here have no bar because they're not in the Miami court, except this one has no bar because their win rate is zero. They had not won a case in three years. These guys are reputed to be tippy-top, best of the best legal surgeons. So firm choice is, as you said, very random. So the busiest law firm in Miami, this guy who always wins, this guy who always loses, these guys who nearly always lose, basically, whether you win or not is really down to who's sitting on the bench that day and needs the hours. And we can examine law firms as well and put them up against each other. So we see who all their litigators are. Every law firm nowadays claims prowess in drone law. But you can see here, this is predominantly a real estate firm. See how long their cases go versus their competitors and the court as a whole. And that you just do not want to give many auto negligence cases because they've lost them all. See how they do for each judge, who their clients are et cetera, et cetera. So basically any legal data, we can take it and slice it and extract anything we need to know. Uh, such as this one. We've had clients ask us recently about analyzing their panel firms. So if you have a case in Orlando, Florida, in front of Judge John Kest, it's a contract case, you're defending it, and you call your panel firm and you say, I need the best person in Orlando, Florida, for this case type and judge. Can they give it to you? The answer is probably not. There's 5,000 lawyers in Orlando, over 1,000 firms. The odds that that guy works for that firm are very slim. He said, OK, give me your best lawyer for that case type and judge. They can't do that either because they don't keep track of who wins and loses in a law firm. 
they have no idea who the best people are. So they're going to send you whoever's sitting on the bench, which is a very random way of getting a lawyer. Here's their panel people, the red dots versus lawyers as a whole. I think this is auto negligence in California. And this is who they've been sent, the guy with 40% win rate. This guy's good, four straight wins, but he's slow. 751 days, this guy's zero, 50, 33, zero. It's pretty random. This is who they could have got from exactly those same firms. Four straight wins, 167 days. So he's good and he's fast. This guy has 16 appearances, 81% win rate. So just by being pickier from within the firm, saying don't send me your B team, you get a much better result. If they'd gone outside their panel firms and just picked overall, they could have had a guy with 209 straight wins. So this is the potential improvement. They could have, we could have taken them from 70% win rate to 96, keeping their existing firm. Okay, so we discussed that a big firm lawyer would beat a small firm lawyer. Having said that, should you hire a big law firm or a small one most of the time? What do you think? I agree. So you hire a small firm? Okay. What do you think, sir? Should you hire a big law firm or a small law firm if you want to win? Most of the time. Win? Yeah. <laughs> small. Small. What do you think? You're going in front of a certain judge and knock out. You want to get a little. You want to get a little experience in there so the judge will say, "This is intense." Okay. That's small. That's small town Louisiana. Right. What do you think? So we discussed earlier that a big firm lawyer going up against a small firm lawyer would win. But ironically, you are much better off hiring a small firm most of the time. Why is that? 93.3% of winners come from small law. That's because 97% of lawyers don't work for big law firms. Big law is ironically not big enough. Even if every major law firm, the top 350 in the country, merged, they would still not be able to give you a top 20 performer in a third of the cases. Here we've got the Miami judges where the people are in yellow. Those are people from a big law firm. You see a third of the judges, like our friend Judge Ike here, doesn't matter which major law firm you hire, you will not get an edge in this man's court. So you need to be firm agnostic when you're hiring people. Associates versus partners. If a partner goes up and against an associate, who do you think is most likely to win? I am. a smart-ass English guy was to put you on the, on the spot in public.
And then, of course, you always have the partners that have checked out because they've been around for so long. Um, What do you think? Partner. Associates. It's always full partner. And then you can be an associate right out of college, so. Yeah. Uh, but then I realized no one had ever checked, no one had ever measured, there'd never been a study. And then I found out as I learned more about the legal business that you make partner based on how much you bill. It has nothing to do with winning. But you are correct, a partner will usually beat an associate, 1.4% more. So you're paying 50% more for 1.4% improvement. <laughs> Came across this guy in uh, downtown Orlando, so paid him for the photo op. <laughs> $2. I actually gave him five, so. <laughs> but I got a photo as well and some shitty advice. Do you get what you pay for in law? If you pay more, do you get a better result? Let's ask the audience here. What do you think? Okay. What about you, sir? Do you think less or negligible? What about you, Mum? You have a thoughts? No? Probably. Probably. What do you think? Not necessarily? Okay. Well, actually, if you pay more for a lawyer, you do get a better performance. If you pay 100% for a lawyer, you get a 3% better performance. not going to put you on the spot for this one. <laughs> Women are significantly better lawyers than men. More women than men go to law school, but when they get into law firms, they are discouraged from going into litigation, apart from family law. So only a third of litigation associates are women which is a shame because they're 3% better. Only 22% of women make, uh, partners are women. Only 4.81% of litigation partners are women. So there's like a double glass ceiling. And that's also a shame because the ones that make it through are 12% better than the men. They're also faster, cheaper, they bill more hours, yet less of the hours appear on your invoice. They're 23% less likely to be sued for legal malpractice. They're 14% more likely to win in front of a female judge. Basically, any way you measure it, the women are much better than the men. And you remember that 1.4% partners beating associates? The female partners bent the curve. If you take them out of the stats, male partners are only half a percent better than male associates, so statistically identical. And as we talked before, we can take any case and slice and dice it and come up with all kinds of interesting things from it. Even a divorce case like this one, as Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie divorce. Uh, family law is the wild west of a legal profession. It's the only area we can't do win rates in, because everybody loses in family court. Uh, but we can see here, for example, that they're both hired lawyers where a disproportionate amount of their clients don't actually wind up getting a divorce. 27% likelihood that would not happen. And we can analyze this case just every which way, outcomes, duration, effect on the judge, one counsel versus another, whatever you can think of, we can derive from court data we can examine motions. 
This is our friend Judge Ike's court. This is foreclosure cases. Judge Ige is a very conservative judge. He is no great fan of foreclosure defendants. And pretty much every motion that gets filed by them, they are going to lose, as you see with these big swathes of red, apart from a motion to transfer <coughs> that he will grant 74.5% of the time. So we can draw down into the kind of minutiae of the court of who's proposing what to see how successful these various things are. And we can do the same for statutes and precedents. So we could calculate for you what your most onerous statutes are, what your least effective statutes are, which precedents are having a disproportionate effect on case outcome. And this is starting to take off. I gave a speech last summer to the PCI CEOs. Afterwards, 96% of them, when asked the best way of hiring a lawyer, said their win rate for your case type and judge. And just 5% of them thought that this was nonsense. This is the main thing that we are selling to insurers at the moment. It's called litigation scan. So when the case comes in, it gets a traffic light, red, yellow, green. If it's red, you have a problem with your judge. You have a problem with the opposing counsel is very good or is very tight with your judge or you've just hired a real monkey. And we tell you the stats of the top 10 performers and also the top 10 from your panel firm. And with this attached to claim systems, we can tell you which of your claims are likely to become lawsuits, which is the golden question in claims management at the moment, because uh, Claim is, a lawsuit is five times as expensive as a claim. Bottom line is just selecting lawyers based on their win rate gets you results that are 50% better and 50% cheaper than simply hiring a major law firm. We discussed venue here. You see the changes that this has in case outcome across the country. And these change in real time for volume and whether it's going towards the plaintiff or defense side. So one of the things that's proposed at the moment is that we look at venues that areas of the country that have particular rules and we measure the volume of litigation per capita and the outcome. And we see if there's a correlation between these particular rules. Because as we've seen before, a lot of, there's a lot of guesswork in law where people think that something has an effect, but it doesn't necessarily. So if we want to get an effect, the first thing we need to do is to measure it. So we looked at uh, direction, direct action against insurers, lawyer advertising, statutes of limitation, seatbelt gag rule, discovery differences. Like in the UK, you can't do these, what I term, file and fish cases you have to be able to make your case on a prima facie basis. The average plaintiff win rate in America is 37%. In the UK, it's 75. And that's not because the UK judges are very plaintiff friendly. They are not. It's because this quality of case is significantly better. Discovery, collateral source rule, there's a lot of things we can look at here. You could look at the judges themselves, differences between elected and appointed Republican versus Democrat, we actually have a judge campaign contribution crawler. So we could do some analysis on the contributions that lawyers are making to the judges they're appearing in front of and how that's affecting the outcome. Uh, also, these judges were former lawyers in a former life. So were they mainly representing plaintiffs or defendants? And how is that carried over to their decisions on the bench? These are just a few examples that you might want to consider looking at. My favorite one here is loser pays. It's called the English rule, but that's kind of a misnomer. It's actually a global rule. Every other country in the world has this rule. If there were a casino where we could go and play, and if we lost, we'd only be out our time, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. We'd be there gambling like degenerates. 
That's what the court systems are like for plaintiff lawyers in the States, because you file any piece of nonsense hoping to get a win. If you had to pay the legal fees of the other side, if you lost, that would probably knock out 95% of your litigation right there. I don't see that changing anytime soon, because most politicians are lawyers, but uh, it would be nice. And of course, we looked at how likely a claim is to become a lawsuit, so we can integrate with lawyers' uh, claim systems. If we did this study, it would be ideal if we could get some claim data, because we'd have significantly more uh, data to work with. It would be much more granular. That's basically it. Thank you very much for having me. And any questions, more than happy. Yes? What do you consider a win and what do you consider a loss? Okay. That's always the first question, actually. Uh, we had a, a Supreme Court justice help us with this. Litigation's kind of simple. Someone goes to court asking for something. So if they get it, then they won. So if a plaintiff gets a judgment, we consider that to be a win. The other court person goes to court and they're asking for that thing not to happen. So if a defense gets a dismissal, we consider that a win. Uh, obviously, you'll get some quote-unquote settlements will get written up as dismissals, but it does mean that that defense lawyer was able to get the result in the kind of comfort zone box for his client. So there's a slight defense skew to it. We don't get into the good wins, bad, uh, sorry, bad wins, good losses stuff. Um, but we can get more granular depending on the data set we're working with. A lot of times, if I just get a response, we know we're going to get it because it's going to have liability on us too. Mm -hmm. I mean, the damages requested are too inflated to pay them, so we yeah. settle. And if we get a defense verdict, we're in the void. We can't use money. Oh, yeah. And under your data, we would have. No, actually, under our data, you would. Sorry, well, is it judgment or? Yeah. <laughs> For that, yeah. Now, if we have, say, access to the underlying claims data, we can calculate what I narcissistically call the total operating budget yield, or TOBI number. And basically what that says is for every dollar that you paid the lawyer, how many dollars in value did they generate for you? Uh, so you could look at the case based on that, because we could look at the total savings and the legal fees. And yeah, the amount claimed and the amount actually paid and so on and so forth. A lot of this depends on the data and some of this court data is just truly horrible. And we've got to derive these from like 16 fields. So in many courts, we don't actually have dollar amounts at all. So we're just looking for a particular outcome and if if you're thinking, well, what do I, on the defense side, want to see in the disposition box at the end of this case? Do you want to see judgment for plaintiff? Not really. Suggestion of bankruptcy? Definitely not. Transferred? No. Ideally, you want to see dismissed. So it makes sense to pull from a group to find the lawyers that always get dismissals for that case type and judge. And from there, you, you know, use your own human judgment. Well, Louisiana has a one-year prescription, so a larger number of claims always end up in litigation. Mm -hmm. But according to your stats, it's five times the cost? It's five times the cost when the claim goes into litigation. Yeah, it's disproportionate effect. Yeah, probably skewed here, I would think. Could well be. Yeah. Um, to find can, out, we'd have to measure it. Yeah, you, you have, uh, well, it looked like Louisiana was kind of lacking on data on, on some of the slides. Or uh, The Louisiana courts are not the most transparent in the country. Uh, we can get the data, we just have to kind of sign up and pay for it. So we tend to do that when a client is asking for yeah, that. Got you. The, uh, and we've got, uh, you had some of the items on our list up there. Mm -hmm. um, we've got quite a, quite a long list of um, different issues that we're looking at. Okay. But um, you know, do you have any kind of ballpark on what it would cost to run the analysis for all these different? 
Um, I mean, it very much depends. I'd like to kind of go away and get it on paper, if you don't mind, but significantly sure. less than losing. We're, 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 we're herding cats. Yeah. So we got to figure out where the resources come from and yeah, it best would options. Certainly be less than yeah. winning, sorry, than losing a, uh, a decent sized lawsuit. Sure. Uh, does anybody have any questions? Uh, we have lots of kind of different ways of doing it. So, for example, we have a system. There's some people that say that's a really cool toy. I want to play with it. Uh, we have some big insurance companies that are very data uh, savvy. And also, we have no interest in that. We just want to buy data from you. Uh, we have people, they buy reports, and then other people that do consulting. Uh, we have 86 people all around the world. Mike? I'm just concerned about the accuracy of the, of the information. Suppose you're hired, and there's a feeling that there's a certain judge that's leaning too much one way, mm -hmm. and there's another person that wants to run for judge, and he wants to be able to use this information to make the public aware that do you realize in certain cases this is what's happening. The accuracy of the information would be that would be good enough to where someone could actually use that in a campaign to say that Judge B is doing this. Do you realize that cases are going this way and this is what it's costing, uh, whatever? So your answer to that would be? Uh, the great thing about what we do is all of our data is public record. So it's, it's as accurate as the public record is. Okay, so you have something to to say this is where this information came from is actually public record that's available. So you're gathering public information, you're putting it in a, uh, in a funnel, and out of that comes out what you dissect it and you give the results from that. Exactly. Okay, yeah, thank you. I got a question. So do y'all ever just take look at campaign contributions that lawyers donate and rank their outcomes or measure their outcomes with a particular judge? study yet I would love to uh, uh, that to me would be the fascinating yeah we <laughs> study have a large insurance company that asked us to look at campaign contributions for judges and a judge has far more effect than a politician does because it's one rather than several hundred and they sit for a very long time uh, so we calculated that the ROI on campaign contributions was in excess of 10,000 percent Okay. Question for me. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. You, you mentioned something about insurance companies hired for your services. Any other state, evidently, they, they, it comes at a cost. What it was it? Insurance companies that came together to uh, to hire your, your your company. How was it funded? Uh, well, initially, we self-funded, and then we had a family office that came in for our first round. Um, but most of our clients are insurance companies. The reason for the question is that the state of our, uh, of our insurance uh, right now, there's so many insurance companies that are saying, you know, we're out of here. We can make money in Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, but Louisiana is just out of hand. Yeah. I'm just wondering, and I'll go back to, what, I guess, what Lou's saying, how much does it cost? Because it may be something that would be of interest to the insurance companies or the insurance market, perhaps, to say how much would it cost to, get, to gather this information, to show it to the public, to see show them why our insurance rates are so high because of these regions that are so I, I that's why i was wondering who came together in these other states to help fund this yeah i mean you're probably looking at about 50k and upwards depends how many of these things you want to study and how much data you can get us we'd have to code up uh it's not terribly difficult but something that we'd say these various states have this law these ones have another law what is the amount of litigation per capita and the plaintiff win rates, and then it would calculate score with R squared, which is how correlated is, is this with this particular rule. So some will be very highly correlated and some won't be. Uh, another thing with this as well, if you look at kind of risk, 
when you do a map like this, it's good for finding anomalies. So there'll be things like uh, South Florida auto negligence, where an area has a very bad reputation, but might actually not be as bad as you thought, or it's kind of the tide has changed. So you actually probably want to be in there and writing. And there'll be other areas that you think are safe, but are actually starting to get terrible because we have these stats in real time. We know hourly, whereas insurance companies, you can have them wait a year till you're finding out what's going on. So we had a, a big insurer in, the, in South Florida. There were people literally faking car accidents, and then the whole family would be injured, and they didn't yeah. see it. They just get right. I find that hard to believe that that would ever happen. It's shocking. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, you did. So basically what I'm getting out of all this is it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's, it's, it's you want the lawyer that has the relationship with the judge. Mm -hmm. So in a state like ours that has a $50,000 jury trial threshold and the next highest state is what, 10? 15. 15. That's going to be more prevalent here than anywhere else. Because if you're in a minor, what should be a minor car accident in another state, you're going in front of a jury if they even go that far. Yeah. Here, you're going to go in front of a judge. And the, and the plaintiff attorney's tight with the judge, a $5,000 case could turn into a $49,000 case really quick. Yeah. Um, I mean, you would have to kind of measure it to be sure. But That's what I'd like to know is that, and I think we know, I think we've seen some of the statistics on that, that, you know, a regular bodily injury here costs a lot more than anywhere else Yeah. because the judges have the leeway to give them more, whereas a jury would look at it and hopefully reasonable people like all of us would look at that and say, no, that's, you know, $8,000 or $800 is enough to, to make this person right. Whereas if a judge has a cozy relationship with a plaintiff attorney who, you know, was a $2,500 hole sponsor on their golf tournament, he might get $40,000. Yes. And what you could do, if we could get some claims data from you guys, we could put a dollar amount on every judge. So when you figure which ones are costing you the most. Right. Or, or a similar injury. Let's say you cut your, your elbow or something. You know, what is that injury in Louisiana? They're getting paid a lot more than in any other state. Yeah. You could look you know, at I'd that like from to see statu statutory point of view to change the law to affect that. Right. But then you could also, on a kind of more granular basis, this particular group of judges are significantly more expensive to the state than this other group. And then you could correlate campaign contributions as well to yeah. see if that if there's anything there, a connection yeah. there. Which because for every dollar you pay out in campaign contributions, you're getting back ten thousand right if savings. If there's a lawyer that donates tens of thousands of dollars, is his win rate higher or lower than a lawyer who never donates? for the yeah. same type of, of case. And also as a group, if you had a pack or something like that, and right. they picked which particular circuits they were the most onerous and spend a bunch of money there, right. you can significantly affect the, the outcome. entire state's outcome. Okay, thank you. Uh, it depends. I mean, so if you can provide it, it's an awful lot easier. If we can get claim system access, we can pull it out and have it all across the country and know with a high degree of certainty. If it's not provided, only 14% of courts actually have documents online. And most cases, there's a kind of pre-trial outcome, and that is not listed. That amount is not listed. So we only know if there's been a judgment so we could pull that out. So you're talking about 5% of 14% of cases. Not a lot, but 
you know, we do start with 41,000 cases a day. There's no shortage of litigation in America. That's for sure. Is there any, any study that shows that lawyers who advertise more wind up getting bigger verdicts, lesser verdicts, or does it make any difference at all? Uh, I've not done a study like that. Uh, I obviously have looked up a few lawyers and that I kind of know locally and things like that. I have found actually that the ones that advertise more, as a rough rule of thumb, don't win as much. But they get more clients and more cases. Yes. Yeah. But for example, one of the top ones in Orlando, last time I looked him up, he'd had 31 cases, every one of which got dismissed. What was that? He had 31 cases in three years, but all of them had been dismissed. Huh. Now a lot of them will be settlements, but he's certainly not a trial professional. It, and I, from what you were saying, you're worldwide. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about, now I've been involved in, in I had a mediation with multiple fatalities that I, I, I resolved and thought I did a great job on it, and then I got laughed at by the German attorneys that were sitting in the room watching the whole thing, because apparently in, in, not all in, in not all jurisdictions is general damages allowed. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about what that looks like across the globe? Is, that, is it common to have general damages or uncommon? Or? Uh, that's not something that I'm necessarily that familiar with. I studied mainly UK law, uh, but I remember the very first time there was a million dollar settlement in the UK. It made the headlines of the TV news. It was a, a very big deal, and it was uh, very significant amounts of um, medical malpractice, a, a huge error chain, and the child was very severely injured and this was money just to provide for the care in its lifetime. Nothing extra for punitive or anything like that. The US is very highly skewed. Yeah, so the UK, does that, there's special in general damages, does it have just special damages or does it allow for pain and suffering? That's not usually something that's awarded, awarded in the UK. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's what I was getting at. I think a lot of other countries in the world don't allow for pain and suffering, those kind of soft, uh, unquantifiable damages, which makes our yeah. system it's like one of my more problematic. U.S. cases. In the U.K., there was a case of was it, a, a woman, she witnessed a traffic accident and she sued for emotional distress. And the judges tossed it out and they said the, uh, we expected a reasonable degree of fortitude and the ability for the average person to cope with the vicissitudes of life. Whereas I read about a, a, U, a US case where a lady witnessed a traffic accident and she sued for the loss of her psychic powers and she won $500,000. But she knew she'd win, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you would have thought she would have seen it coming. And then she pulled into a McDonald's and got a hot coffee and spilled it on her lap, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's amusing because Starbucks is being sued for having tea that's too hot, but someone else is suing them for having tea that's too icy, has too many cubes in it. I heard that. Uh, and also the coffee that's too frothy. Which goes back to your uh, prima facie. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Interesting. Anybody got any? There you go. We haven't done that, but we could do. I see. Yeah, I, I've often talked about doing win rates for expert witnesses. Careful, man. One issue we just recently had put out there, I think in the last couple of weeks, was the uh, jury uh, verdict form um, and the variations between the states on the multiple lines that they ask the jury to make an award. So, for example, Georgia has one line for the amount of damages. Right. Here we have went past and future, a line for past medicals, line for future, line for past lost wage, line for future, line for general damages, what, paint it? Yeah, I mean, it goes on and on. So 
my response was, yeah, my response was one plus one plus one plus one equals four, where one plus zero equals one. So, I don't know. I mean, in a way, you could say that they're more likely to come up with a more accurate number because they've unbundled it. But it, I'm sure that it's actually there because some plaintiff lawyers discovered that they make more money that way. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. But I don't know because I've not measured it. Right. But I'd be happy to. Just another issue. Yeah. So. Anybody have any other questions? Here we go. I mean, there's, a, there's a ton of things. Uh, I mean, the big one is case type. You know, some cases are significantly easier than others. Uh, so the, very, the two first attorneys that ever called us had one guy who, back when we started it, we used to put the names of the losers up, uh, and uh, he wasn't very happy about that, so um, <laughs> we had to redact it. And the second lawyer that ever called was Alvin Benton, and he said, yeah, I have to tell you, Toby, those were easy cases. Is that uh, foreclosure, sorry, uh, timeshare foreclosure cases, basically. So, you know, they were easy for you. Alvin has a 97% overall win rate. But if you go across the street to the next firm that does that in Orlando, their win rate is 75% as a firm. I mean, if you go down to Miami, their win rate for that case type is 66. So the skill of the lawyer does does affect it, but case type is a biggie. So if you're winning, say, 2% of cases in tax court, you're doing quite well. Um, so types of case is big. Um, there are some lawyers that are just a bit pickier with their cases than others. Um, I, I guess also things like style of advocacy. When we're looking at lawyers, sorry, at judges, we'll often look at their pro se win rate. Uh, typically, that's going to be about 42% overall, but you have some judges that are in the high 60s and some judges are in the low 20s. And that's very indicative of whether they're a black letter law judge or whether they are more amenable to an argument from equity, someone coming along and saying, this is not fair. Uh, so a pro se person is unlikely to know the law, so they're going to make a fairness-based argument. Some judges are up for that and some are not. Um, so there's a, a ton of different things which, which affect it. But unfortunately, that relationship is huge. Okay. I think we're good. Great. Thank you. Any other?